a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to KSL News Radio. So glad to be with you on this beautiful day. My name is Jason Perry with the Hinckley Institute of Politics. I'm co-hosting today with Morgan Lyoncotti, who works at the Hinckley Institute with said Jason Perry. Okay, very nice intro there. Thank you very much. Because we're going to jump into something that's been so interesting for me to watch. Uh, we have Mark Harlan, the athletics director for the University of Utah. I'll, I'll tell you, Morgan, I've, I've had a chance to meet with Mark almost every day in some capacity. And, and Mark, we're just so glad to have you on the program because you have had to do so much when it comes to athletics. And of course, when we're watching the news, we hear decisions if we're going to have a game or we're not going to have a game. But so much more goes into just that decision. Maybe take a second, if you don't mind, because we're so glad to have you talk about what you have been doing to help with our athletic programs. Well, Jason, good to talk to you. Morgan, nice to meet you. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a ride for our student athletes. Uh, it's always a challenging adventure to compete at the division one level but when you throw the pandemic of which everyone's managing certainly we're not alone with that it's uh it's at another level of uh complication and and uh you know true true love of craft you know to be able to test every morning in the case of our football team and wait for those results to come in at about 10 38 every day that's when my phone would say green or red, depending on uh, the test results and then practice and then just do that each and every day as you head toward a game on Saturday. But really proud of the efforts of our medical team and, and our students and certainly our coaches to to uh, navigate it all and uh, excited to you know win, win three games in a row in the football season. But it's just beginning. We've got a lot of teams coming up ahead and uh, the kids will keep grinding forward and we'll keep listening to our medical folks. It's been, uh, it's been quite a thing. Well, I've been so impressed, too, as we are in these meetings uh, and we hear you talking with medical advisors. Uh, I've noticed that you know so much about this testing. You could almost have your honorary MD. Uh, (laughs) That's true. That's true. The the antigen testing versus the PCR testing. And then if the antigen's positive, it's got to be verified by the PCR. And if PCR levels are low, then you want to definitely do a few more PCRs. So to your point, I've learned more about that than I probably ever cared to ever learn. Yeah, none of those are sentences you normally hear from the athletic director. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> right. And and it's it's just been, you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this the other night, Jason. I don't know if, if, if you thought about this too. Watching these young people go through this and the resiliency they've had to, to sh- you know, to, to, to show. And I think about, you know, high schoolers, of which I have one, and the resiliency that they have to show. And I, I guess on the positive side of all of this, when it's all over, and gosh, it seems like it might be getting, you know, heading that direction, you know, there's some toughness uh, that's going to emerge all this and some adaptability. And I think um, that'll be a strength that some of these young people will learn, you know, as they go through this experience. 
Yeah, really great point. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, and I know there's been so much done to make sure that the physical health of these athletes is protected. But I know that you've also been doing things to make sure that mentally that they not are just strong, but that they're weathering this very difficult situation. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about what's being done either at the U or within the Pac-12 to just make sure that the mental health is also there for these students? It's a great point. You know, it's something that uh, we've had a lot of focus on, you know, well prior to the pandemic. Um, I think the challenges that young people face uh, are enormous. The pressure, social media, all the things that maybe I know I certainly didn't have to deal with growing up. Um, we've had a real focus on that at University of Utah. We've got uh, five professionals uh, that are full-time uh, in, in the mental health field for us. And, and uh, you know, they meet with our student-athletes. You know, they don't talk about visualizing victory. They talk about, you know, tools to equip and, and to help them manage um, what can be a very stressful thing. So really, really honored that those professionals were in place when this hit. And certainly um, they've been busy uh, as we try to to go through that because there, there's a real – you know, there's there's something about a, if we just take the case of a student athlete who's you know very programmed, he or she, um, and to have to adapt to these type of uh, changing environments, to have an athletic director walk into a room on a Friday and say, "Guys, we can't get on the plane to UCLA because we just can't," you know, and how you manage that and how you how you cope with that, along with just you know some of the isolation, right? Like everyone in the community has dealt with. We had upwards of 48 guys uh, in the last month of the season living in single rooms up at the, the, the guest house here. That was to keep them safe because they wanted to compete and they had to stay away from the virus. So, you know, that's all fine for the virus, but what about their mental health? So we're real proud of that. And I think the Pac-12 has been a leader um, across our 12 campuses to really keep an eye on mental health. We like to say in Utah athletics, it's just like when you break your arm, what do you do? Right? You go see the trainer, you get a cast, and you do those things. There's no difference now. We want the stigma gone. We want our kids to be healthy and, and thrive while they're with us and certainly after they go. Well, that's one of the things I've noticed from you through all of this, Mark, too, is uh, you, you have to make these decisions on whether or not you're going to play the game. But that's always been the second thing you've mentioned. It's always been first about the players themselves. It's been about uh, the, the athletes and their well-being, which is really at the heart of what's most important here. Uh, and and as, as we mentioned that uh, – I hope you don't mind. I'm curious if you can give us a little preview for what's coming here through the fall because, you know, football's, football's kind of winding down, at least in terms of our games, but we still have a lot of sports to come. Yeah, we really do. It's always, uh, it's always fun, you know, to, to have all these sports. We've got 20 teams here at the University of Utah, and football is uh, done after deciding that uh, even though we qualified for a bowl, winning those three straight, that it was time to, to pack it in, let them go home and see their families for Christmas, and we'll get them back here in mid-January and get back to work, but we've got basketball, men's basketball. We've got a little testing pause right now as we get those guys uh, through quarantine. We hope to be back in practice maybe by the beginning of next week and women's basketball. And then when we come back, Jason, to your point, after the first of the year, we're going to see our soccer team, which we should have played in the fall. Their schedule has been moved to the spring. Same with volleyball. We've got, of course, the fabulous Red Rock gymnastics program that's going to get started in January. Our ski team. Uh, our cross-country team, which has been moved to the fall to the spring and the rest of our track and field. And, and then it's going to be the three-ring circus all the way through the end of the school, which is so awesome, right? These students have yes. worked so hard to compete. They, they appreciate the, the measures we're taking. And so we'll keep testing and keep people safe and, and uh, get them out there and let them compete. 
So, Mark, I, uh, you spoke about social media earlier, and I'll admit I'm on it far too much. But I did notice on <laughs> U of U Athletics um, that you're doing these profiles on, stu- on the students, and one of the things that you ask them is, why did you choose the U? So I want to hear what you hear from these students. Why did these student athletes decide to come to the University of Utah? I think what I go through exit interviews when our students leave you know, I, I always try to ask the things that they thought coming in and how they matched on their way out. And, of course, that's just more of a formal thing. I'm talking to kids all the time. But the one thing that really comes in all the time is they really sensed a family environment. Uh, when they were being recruited, they knew it's a place that they could come and study at a great institution and, and then compete at the very highest level. Um, but I, it always comes back to family and personal growth. Um, that's been a real common theme um, and a culture of, of winning, but defining winning, not just on scoreboards for themselves, but just winning and growing as a person and, and being a part of the community and all those kind of things. It's not just tunnel vision. I'm just going to be a runner and that's all I'm going to do. And I'm just going to run, go to class, come back, run. It's the whole person. So I, I think, you know, what's really gratifying for me is when these young people leave is they really felt like their experience matched what they hoped. And we're so, you know, you mentioned the profiles you're seeing, you know, we're profiling these, these students that have graduated in the fall semester. And, you know, we're at 94% graduation rate for our kids that have come in. And that ties us, you know, we're, excuse me, we're just behind Stanford. Uh, we were tied last year with Stanford, but I think they jumped to 95%. We'll catch those guys. Those trees. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, I think it's just really gratifying for our coaches and certainly myself that, that they come in with high expectations and, and, and uh, we seem to match it in almost all cases. It is, is certainly the case. I'll, I'll tell you what, not, not only are you a great athletic director, you're managing this so well, I'll tell you what's close to my heart, Mark, is you're also a political scientist. <laughs> That's true. And you and I talk about that. It's, uh, and, you know, I'm a Hinkley Institute watcher. I can assure you of that. <laughs> yes, a- absolutely right. Well, thanks for all you're doing there to keep our athletes safe, but also to keep the University of Utah moving forward. So glad to have you here at the university, and we really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks, guys. Jason, always great to talk to you. You guys have a great holiday. You as well. And to our our listeners out there, you're going to want to come back. Michelle Quist, a political commentator, going to talk about this, the year of the woman. It's true. So much good has happened here in this area. Morgan, we're going to talk about it when we come back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.